Good evening. Uh, last week, Pastor Brett ended the sermon with the statement that the, uh, the Lions weren't going to lose last week. I, I hear, hear that isn't the case uh, this week. They got back to playing. So um, what I want to do tonight is I want to bring you back to that passage that we were in, Acts 20. So if you can open your Bibles to Acts 20. And uh, what we are going to do is we're just going to kind of build on that same idea um, of a, a life of faith, of repentance and faith. And what I want to do is just add a little bit to it in the sense of what does that look like in community? You know, as, as we're living together, this morning we were challenged to think about, uh, you know, our salvation, uh, what, we, what we have as a testimony and things like that. But... Um, I want us to think about this idea of living a life of repentance uh, and faith in community. So if you said amen to this morning's sermon, whether it was an audible amen or a heart amen, um, tonight I want to continue along this repentance and faith theme in Acts 20, uh, 20, 21 through 24. So as we uh, look at this idea, as many of you know, one of my favorite books a book that I've, I've shared with the young adults, a book that I quote from often, is The Gospel Primer. And it contains um, daily rem- 31 reminders of what the gospel is, what we have in the gospel. And um, day 18 has two quotes that specifically relate to what Pastor Brett uh, shared about this, this morning. And I just want to read these two quotes. The gospel is the one great permanent circumstance in which I live and move. If you think about that, the gospel is the one great permanent circumstance. All my other circumstances, they ebb and flow, highs and lows, different things like that, but the one permanent great circumstance is the gospel. And then this idea of the gospel is not just one piece of good news that fits somehow into my life. The gospel should be your life. That idea of repentance and that idea of faith should mark your life. And I want to take a little bit of time um, this evening, like we do every Digging Deeper service, and I want to just see, uh, hear from you about some thoughts and some takeaways. We didn't get microphones. I'm usually the one that organizes the microphones, and I didn't even think of it tonight. But maybe if we just have, uh, if you can uh, just speak up, and we'll just have a couple of people share that, or I don't know, Jason, if you want to try to grab one, or... I don't know if there's one even back there, but um, any thoughts, anything from, uh, from the sermon uh, this morning that you have? Oh, there we go. We got one there. Jason's got one. As, as, you, think about, as you think about that, um, if Steve, you can go to the next slide there. I was thinking about this... Uh, this idea, head, heart, and hands in relationship to, that, to the, the message. And the head is the idea of allowing the word to shape my mind. What does this passage teach me about God, God's nature? What does this passage teach me about myself in relation to God? What does this passage teach me about the doctrine or the Christian life? The heart, allowing the word to shape my affections. What does this pe- passage tell me to feel, to love, to hate? 
and the hands, allowing the word to shape my actions? Do I have any sin that needs to be confessed, explicit command that needs to be obeyed, an example that I need to follow, and how can I advance God's kingdom based on this passage? So thinking of even this idea of head, heart, and hands, um, anything from this morning's message? It's, we, we got mics here. <laughs> one of the things that struck me this morning, I've had a couple of very good lifelong friends who came to know the Lord later in life as adults, and they had come from a background that was very unchristian. And their energy and excitement mm-hmm. about becoming a Christian, it just it lasts to this day. They have a tremendous... It was, God just changed them inside out. And I'd often thought, you know, I was raised in the church in a very benign environment. And when I came to know the Lord at a a young age, you know, the transformation was every bit as real as Mm -hmm. it needed to be. But I wasn't saved from something drastic like my friends. I think that perhaps they understood repentance better than I did because it was real in their life. It was a, it was a 180 degree change for me. It was a transformation that kind of took place, but I, you know, I, I, I thought, well, my testimony is kind of benign. I wasn't saved from a life of crime and alcoholism and, you know, but God's grace was real. Just it had to be just as real for me yeah. because I am a sinner, but the change was not so drastic for me. Yeah. And I, I, don't have as, I don't have that object lesson of repentance in my life like my friends did. Yeah. One of the things, when I, I, gave, I shared my testimony for the first time at the church that Krista grew up in. Um, and I was there and I shared um, that God had saved me from a life of crime and drugs and things like that. And my then, well not then, my now father-in-law looked at a couple of people around him shocked like, uh, who is this guy that my daughter is marrying? And I said... I never experienced any of those, but I was saved from them nonetheless. And so thinking about that, even in the sense of, in one sense, life circumstances not as drastic. In spiritual circumstances, death to life is drastic. And so, anyone else? Anything else there? One thing that struck me about this morning was that repentance to the, uh, to the Jew meant something different than repentance to the Gentile. The Gentiles, they had all their various practices that were completely different from those of the, Gentile, from the, that of the Jews, and the Jews possessing the law were sort of like us goody two-shoes raised in the church who, uh, who never, got to have, never got to enjoy any of that sinning that we had to repent against. So repentance, um, I I think it means something different to us raised in the church, to those who come to salvation later in life, who, you know, don't have a smoking habit to kick or alcoholism to get rid of or a bunch of adulterous affairs to repent of. Uh, And uh, for the Christian, it's a matter of uh, avoiding the empty formalism of the Pharisee. Uh, and 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 to change your mind, uh, to to change your uh, to change the purpose of your life from uh, 
I think it means different things at different times. When you're when you're a little kiddo, uh, maybe it means uh, not sneaking. It means being a little bit more diligent and obeying your parents. But as as we get adults, I think that we have to continually repent. And uh, I, I think of it in terms of the the paradigm shift between um, Newton and Einstein, uh, paradigm shifts between uh, do I think of the law as being this list of things I got to do to get to heaven or uh, the definition of a character of who I will become as I am sanctified. Hmm. And this, this idea, and, and the thing is, is it doesn't stop. We must continually be repenting uh, in terms of uh, what was I thinking that the gospel means yesterday and say, no, I've got to pick up some more distinctions. I've got to understand it better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've got to be open to that. So that was, that, that, that was my main takeaway from this morning. Yeah. Others, anyone else? Yeah, I, I want you to, to be thinking about um, what, what you heard this morning in this passage. And as we go through um, tonight, because we're going to have a little bit of time for some um, discussion and prayer at the end of tonight um, also. So um, so if, the, if you guys want to keep those or have those handy there, so at the end if we, we have a chance to do that. Um, I want you to think about these three things. And, and when I've preached, I've, I've mentioned these before. I've talked about these with the kids. I've talked about them in the How to Study the Bible class that we're doing. And we, a lot of times, will think about the head and the hands. Like, what did I, what did I take in information-wise? What do I need to do now because I heard this sermon? But if you look at that heart section and you think about the sermon this morning, and you think about the passage this morning, heart, allowing the word to shape my affections. What does this passage tell me to feel? What does this passage tell me to love? And what does this passage tell me to hate? When you think about repentance and faith, those words should stir up emotions in you. Because in that sense of repentance, something that we should hate as a result of understanding and growing in our understanding of repentance is what? And this is, this is Sunday school answer. What should we hate more as a result of hearing a passage, uh, listening to a passage and hearing a sermon like this morning? Sin. I mean, we, we should hate it more. It should be something that stirs in our hearts. In a sense, when we're challenged to think about repentance and where we're at, that really should move us. And I want to tell you this. If you were able to sit through a sermon on repentance and the fact that we oftentimes don't think about it, and you were able to sit there stoically and not have your heart moved in the sense of things that you have in your life, you might want to check your pulse. You might want to see, because we all struggle with things. We all do. And so tonight, as we go through this, I want to take some time to talk about how do we struggle through um, a, a life of repentance together, and how do we celebrate a life of faith together? So, when you look at this, this passage here, um, and let's just go ahead to um, 
the next slide there is, is the verse, and we're going to look at this, uh, this idea of solemnly testifying. And so, um, if, you, if you go to the next one, next slide, we have, we have the verse there, and it says, Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that our lives would be marked by a desire to finish the race for your honor and your glory, to testify to the gospel that you have saved us, I want to pray that as we think about this idea of living a life of repentance and faith together in community, you would help us to to examine our hearts, to look for ways to encourage others, and to honor and glorify you. And God, I just want to pray that in everything that we do and say tonight and going forward would bring you honor and glory and praise. Help us to to live lives dependent upon you and help us to encourage one another to do the same. And God, we just want to pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you look up here at the the screen, I've I've highlighted, I've bolded, underlined, marked up the, the solemnly testify statements there. It's in there three times. So this is that idea, as Pastor Brett mentioned, that idea of, of you know, it's, a, it's complete. And so when you look at the first one, this is what uh, was, we, we heard this morning. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this, this first time it's used, Paul wants them to remember how he lived among them. He, he wants them to know what he preached to everyone. He preached repentance and faith. It was a reminder, solemnly testifying to remind you of, of how I've, I've lived, what I've preached. This is, once again, this was what Pastor Brett uh, focused on this morning. Remember what I preached. And why do you think he wants these elders that he's called together from Ephesus? Why does he want them to remember that? It's because of what we heard this morning and what we hear throughout the New Testament, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is what our lives need to be about. So as you think about this, this idea of why he wants them to remember that, he, he calls them together, he tells them this. Um, you know, as, as what, he, what he's been telling them, what he's been telling them completely. The second use of this term is in verse 23. The Holy Spirit testifies to the fact that Paul is going to face hardships as he goes into every city. If you look there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that chains and afflictions await me. If the first one is a a reminder, like, remember what I've done, what is this? What is verse 23? What's, What's the solemnly testifying? What's it about? 
It's about persecution. And it's about the idea that, you know what? Paul, it's coming. It's coming. The Holy Spirit is telling him, it's, it's coming. You're going to face it in every city. It was a warning. The Holy Spirit is completely letting him know every city you go into, there's going to be challenges. Preaching this message is not going to be easy. Once again, another contrast to the prosperity gospel, if you think about this. It's not going to be easy. It's not a, a, a name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, whatever you want to you know, kind of think about in that sense of you just say it and it's going to happen because God's obligated to do it. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be challenges. But I want you to think about this in the sense of our setting because it's real easy to look at the prosperity gospel people and go, oh yeah, they're there. But think about this. This is not just the prosperity gospel as we know it. The airplanes, the huge houses, the gold cars, the pros- that kind of prosperity gospel. This is also Baptist prosperity gospel. Have you ever heard of Baptist prosperity gospel? This is it. If you are going to do something for God, it will be easy. And the second that you face a challenge, it must not be what God wants you to do. Have you ever heard that? You're, like, you're, gonna, you're facing difficulty. Oh, maybe that's not what God wills for you. It's like, Just because something is hard doesn't mean don't do it. But we get into the habit of, we we tone down the problem. We don't don't say, um, if you claim an airplane, God's going to give it to you. What we do is we say, if I want to do something and I say I'm going to do it, then God's obligated to make it easy. And if he's not, then that's on God or I'm just going to change my plans. The idea of ministry being hard is throughout the Bible. It's it's throughout the Bible. I was going to say the New Testament, but it's throughout the Bible. The final use of this term is in uh, verse 24. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of God's grace. And if you think about this last Test, uh, solemnly testifying. This is the idea of commitment. Paul is committed to doing this. Paul says, my goal in this life is to testify to this gospel. This gospel is about repentance and faith. This gospel ministry will be filled with hardship. But this gospel is more important than my life. It's more important than what I value. It's, I will do this until the end of my life with all of my life. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of God's grace. Each of us should be growing towards the same mindset pursuing wholeheartedly the gospel and sharing it with others and being a a testimony of it. And we should also be helping one another to grow in that mindset. Pastor Brett talked about the idea that um, this repentance is, there's an initial sense, there's a continual sense, there's a, a, a growing sense. We need to grow to be quicker repenters. 
You know what that means? That means when you see a sin in your life, you don't hold it close and get cuddly with it and warm with it and enjoy it for a little bit. And then, like, as soon as you realize it's in your life, you're quicker to repent of it. And we need to be quicker and quicker and quicker at that. And here's how we help one another to do that. You may have people in your life, um, and, and this is, there's two ways that people help us. And our church family could help us with this. The one sense is, there may be people where you realize, I need to repent of sin that I have against them. Attitudes that they've had, things like that. And you need to be quicker with that. Do you understand what I mean by that? The reality is, we live together. There is not always peace and harmony and joy and kumbaya here together. There are disagreements. There are struggles. And you need to be quicker. And I don't mean that in a sense of, you need to be. We all need to be quicker to repent of that and to work on those details. To work on those things that we're holding against people. So that's one sense. And in another sense, we need to help one another in the sense of coming alongside and saying, hey, it seems like you're, you're, you have an issue with this person. I want to be praying for you and I want to be helping you to work on this and grow in this. But being a quicker repenter, that, that's that idea of, of a life of repentance together. As we, uh, as we look at this passage, and we look at these elders that, that Paul's brought together, where, where are they coming from? Do you, do you remember where they're coming from? Ephesus. Ephesus. So if you... Um, Keep your, we're going to come back to this Acts passage, but if you want to go to the, turn in your Bibles to Ephesus, Ephesus 4, Ephesians chapter 4, okay? I want to highlight a couple of things, and um, as you think about this, we're going to look at 4, uh, there's a couple of verses up there, we're going to come to those in a second here, but um, I want to do this quickly, we're going to go through all of chapter 4, 4, 1 through 32, right now, in just a couple of minutes. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Paul urges the Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called. They've been called to something. They need to grow into that. So as you think about this idea of what, how we're supposed to live together, a life of repentance and a life of faith, Paul calls these elders together, he gives them this, this message, and then he writes this letter of Ephesians, and in four he specifically tells them, this is why I give you elders, this is why I give you apostles, this is why I give you evangelists, this is why I give you leaders in your church. And the beginning of this, he, he tells them, he talks about this idea of walking in a manner worthy of the calling, you've been called to something, grow into it. And then in two and three... Verses 2 and 3, it says, With all humility, gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul tells them to have humility, gentleness, and patience. Those are all community words. Those are words that you show with other people. While bearing with one another and being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Here's something to think about in this idea of life of repentance and faith. 
Don't think of yourselves better than other people. Be humble. Be kind, tender, and mild-mannered. That's being gentle. And this idea of patience. I read this in a Grace to You devotional. Patient Christians endure negative circumstances, cope with difficult people, and accept God's plan for everything. As you think about this idea of patience, and you think about this, um, how many of you have ever had your patience stretched? I mean that, seriously. Raise your hands. Raise your hands if you have ever had your patience stretched. Okay, so everybody. I'm assuming everybody. I saw a couple of people. I I think they're not being very tolerant of me and willing to raise their hand. They're not being very patient. Um, but, But as you think about this, There is a calling that one has, and there is the challenge of all these things that we need to be patient and mild-mannered and encouraging one another and working towards peace together that that cause this calling and this growth in community to be a challenge. But in and of itself, those challenges help us to grow. When you think about it, the times that you grow the most are usually the times when you've gone through the hardest things and you've needed to rely upon God more than you even thought. This gospel in community involves calling and challenge. So as we think about this, I want to, like I said, I'm going to take a, a couple of times here to ask some questions and we don't necessarily need to have the mics running around for them, but um, as you think about this idea of a calling and a challenge. I want to give you an opportunity. I'm not calling anybody out to say who. Um, this isn't a, who are the challenging people in your life? We're not going to do that. Okay? We're not going to, uh, him right here and, and him. No, no, we're not going to do that. What I want you to do, I, I want to have, just think about this. One or two people here sharing, how has someone in this church come alongside you and helped you through a difficult time? How has someone come alongside you and helped you uh, in the sense of that you've gone through a challenging time and as we've talked about, they've, they've helped you through that in, in whatever way um, that is. I know God uses many different ways, but one or two people just to share that. And actually, I'm going to say two people. So I'm going to stand here until two people go. Laura. Yeah. Okay. So if you didn't hear, she said the idea of attending on uh, Wednesday nights and the community group and having people that you're able to share to those challenging circumstances with and those difficulties with and knowing they're praying for you and they're they're going through similar things too. So um, others. Yep. What was that again? Okay. Uncle, uncle gave him a, a place to live when he didn't have a, a place to live. I said two, but anybody else? I, wanna, I don't want to necessarily give you, cut it short there, but anybody else have a way that someone's been a blessing or an encouragement?
more you get to know each other, the more you can share. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just God's blessings, but you can share those difficulties, mm-hmm. those challenges, and then that's a support network for yeah. us. And those people pray. Yeah. And I want to pray for them, too. So it's kind of like the small group, the smaller the better. Yeah, yeah. So, once again, that idea of getting connected with a small group of people and being able to share those things. Mark, you had some? So, earlier this year, um, Christy's mom and brother passed away. Yeah. And that was a hard time. And there were many people that had shared with us that they were praying for us. And that just meant the world to us. Mm-hmm. So, As you think about this calling and this challenge that we have, this God has called us, we, there's challenges, but there's also opportunities in those challenges to help one another grow into where God has called us and what he's called us into. Um, so as you think about uh, this, how do we respond as a church in the sense of helping people see their need to repent and the obligation, the responsibility, the fact that we need to celebrate and in the, the faith that we have in Christ. As elders, and we, we want to help you where you are, but we don't want you to stay where you are. And that's the same for where we're at. It, it's where you're at, we want to help you at that point. But we don't want you to stay there. We all need to be growing. We need to be growing more and more into the image of Christ. So as you think about this, and you look there at at Ephesians 4, and and you go back there, um, verse 13. um, You can look at these verses. I'm just going to kind of give a a summary of them. But there's the idea of living a life of repentance and faith together. There's the idea of growing to maturity and the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So there's this sense of Paul tells them, you need to grow into the image of Christ. You need to no longer walk as unbelieving Gentiles walk in verse 17. That idea of the way that you live in in sinfulness, don't walk like that any longer. Rid yourselves of the old self. Put on the new self. And then these last couple here in verse uh, verse 32. Be kind to one another. Compassionate to one another. And then forgive one another. And if you look down at your your, your scripture, I left a part of that last one off. What is it that I left off in 432? Just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. When you think about this idea of living humble, gentle, patient, kind, compassionate, and forgiving one another, at the heart of it all is that God has begun a good work in you through Jesus Christ. And what we do is we live that out individually and as a, as a body of Christ here together. I, want, I, I don't mean this to correct Mark. 
but I'm going to correct Mark. Welcome church. Not welcome to church, but welcome church. Because what is the church? Is it this? Is it, is it this, this new, newer part of the building? No. It's us. It's us gathering together. There is a sense of, to the church, in the sense of we're gathering together here together to celebrate what God has done. But we need to remember that we are the church. And we need to help one another. We need to encourage one another to, to grow in repentance and to grow in faith. So, there is, um, and you can go ahead to the next slide there. There is a quote on the TBC Kids page. It's a Ted Tripp quote. And this is what it says. Give your children big truths they will grow into rather than light explanations they will grow out of. I'm going I'm to say that again. Give your children big truths they will grow into rather than light explanations they will grow out of. As I think about that, and I think about, um, I think, and I'm, I'm assuming here, but I'm assuming Pastor Brett was talking about me this morning with the pastor that had all those descriptions of, it was only this building. But that idea of biblical words for biblical concepts is, I want the first through fifth graders that I'm, I'm teaching downstairs in children's church once, once a month, I want them to know that God is sovereign. And sovereign is a big word. But you can use big words and then explain them. And then as they grow, they understand what sovereign means. And it's not like this little kid concept that they grow out of and they're like, that was such a little kid thing. But it's a, God is sovereign. And one of the ways, and I've used this up here before talking to you, and I'm sorry, I'm the children and family pastor, so sometimes I talk about up here and down there. Uh, that's not a heaven and hell thing. That's a, that's a up here in this area and downstairs in the kids area. So um, this idea of growing into big truths, talking to them about God is sovereign and he's the boss and he's a good boss and he's a boss who loves you more than anyone else and he's a boss who knows more than anyone else. And then you help them to grow in their understanding of that as you continue to explain things. We, in the children's ministry here, and I want you to understand this. We want it to be more than just kids' ministry. It's family ministry. And it's the same thing that Pastor Jory is trying to do with the the youth and the teens. It's more than just youth ministry. It's, It's family ministry and helping families. We want to help build a gospel foundation. Now, listen to this, because I want you to understand this. We want to help parents build a gospel foundation over weeks and years, not just give a quick, easy to remember, easy to do gospel summation at the end of a lesson. Do you know what I mean by that? It's not like you teach a lesson and then you just say, oh, here are the ABCs, and then you just throw it out there as just, oh, I got to get the gospel in here somewhere. I'll just give a quick summation of it and say, do this. But this idea of a gospel foundation over days, weeks, years, and not just something you, you throw on at the end. Um, 
I used to, uh, Garrett, you have it. Can you hold up your phone? Or do you have your phone on you? Uh, face that way. That's three circles. That's a gospel presentation that uh, they, they used at, um, when they went to the New York trip. That's a sticker on the back of his phone. Then you go here, and here's a little track that has some pages. And then you go here. Here is a bigger track that has some more words. And then you go here is a book. And then you go here is a bigger book. And I'm going to keep going here. And then you go here is a bigger book. I want you to know this. This is the one that we need to remember. If we get into the whole, we have a method of sharing the gospel, and that's the way that it has to be. And that method is not this. We can get caught up in fighting over things that aren't worth fighting over. As we think about this idea of what God is doing, I want you to, I want you to think about what we're doing here at Trinity. In the current uh, adult class I'm teaching, we're going through the uh, book of, we're doing Bible study techniques, and we're using the book of Jonah. And if you're in the class, you know this, and if you're not in the class, you might know this. Jonah's a messy book. It is. Because in chapter one, God commands Jonah, and then what does Jonah do? Jonah runs. In chapter 2, a fish swallows Jonah. What does Jonah do? He prays. I put down here, and I have this. I'm I'm just going to tell you how I... Jonah prays a prayer of repentance with a question mark afterwards. God delivers Jonah. Chapter 3, what does Jonah do? What does Jonah do? This is is kid quiz time. What does Jonah do in chapter 3? Goes to Nineveh. Preaches the gospel, or preaches repentance, pre- preaches repentance to Nineveh. What happens in Nineveh? The people repent. What does Jonah do in chapter 4? I, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to show mercy on these people. I would rather die. And I say that about chapter 2 with repentance because there's a sense of he did turn. His actions were different. But in chapter 4, his values haven't really changed. Like, his, his heart hasn't changed. And you know how God finishes the book out? It's with a question. I would love to know what happened to Jonah. Like, what happened to him after that? Like, why not wrap it up neat and have the story all complete and we're able to just go there and know, oh, this is what happened. That's great. We know where Jonah is. We know where he's at. We know all of these different things. But here's, here's the, one of the points of this. Obviously, the greatest miracle, and this is what I talked about in the class, the greatest miracle in the, the book of Jonah is not the fish being eaten by the fish. It's a city repenting. It's God working in the heart of a, a king and a people, and they repent, and they see the mercy of God. But here's something else that I just kind of, as I was looking at it and I was thinking about it, I'm going, I wish this would have wrapped up easier. I wish this would have wrapped up in an easier to understand way, but it didn't. And life doesn't. I mean, you see people 
you know people that are going through hardships, that have trusted in the Lord, and that are going through hardships, and they continue to trust in the Lord. And you know people who claim to have trusted in the Lord, and they go through hardships, and they run from the Lord. And we'd love to know right now how that's going to end. And oftentimes we judge how it's going to end, like we're God. But that is not our job. Our job is to trust God, live for him, pray for and encourage others to live for him, and then to trust him. There are hard parts in this Christian life. And I know people in here have experienced that. And that's why we here at Trinity have a women's conference on the war with worry. Or the war on worry. And we have ladies sharing about worry and and their personal struggles on different levels. That's why we have a men's conference on mistakes and habits that we make. And trying to encourage one another um, to grow as believers. That's why we have a group of parents praying here. And I think it's on the third, is it on the third Monday night here? That's why we have a group of parents. Godly men and women. Who have children that are not serving the Lord. And their hearts are broken. And they gather here to pray. That's why we offer classes on redemptive relationships, conflict, biblical understanding of uh, contemporary issues, and other classes. But I want you to remember the line in the hymn that we sang. My faith has found a resting place. Not in a device or creed. My heart is leaning on the word. So as you think about those people that shared about a small group of people. When I've worked with churches and small groups, things like that. Sometimes a small group ministry is not the silver bullet that a church needs. And I... This isn't from Pastor Jason with small group things or anything like that. So I, I just, this, is, this is me speaking. Small groups is almost like an artificial attempt to do what we need to be doing all of the time. It's a, it's a way to get people to connect and to talk and to share God's word and encourage one another. All of those things that I listed, they're good things. But most importantly, it's why we here at Trinity are committed to the faithful preaching of God's word, praying for one another and encouraging one another to grow in in a community together and help one another. Church family, do not consider your life of any account as dear to yourself, but rather desire to live your life, your entire life, for what God has called you to. A repentant, faith-filled, growing, disciple-making, God-glorifying life. A repentant, faith-filled, growing, disciple-making, God-glorifying. That's a lot of hyphenated words in there, but I want you to think about that. We want to glorify God, and we want to help others do the same. And that's by acknowledging the fact that We were sinners who needed saved. We still have sin that we struggle with. 
And we are so thankful that God has provided Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, a church family uh, to help us do that. So, I just, I want to ask one more time that question that I asked um, a little bit ago. Let's see if we can have one or two people or maybe even more. Um, A way that uh, you have been blessed by someone else here in this church or another believer somewhere. Um, Thinking about all of these things, that idea of the the humble, the patient, all all of those. um, What are some other ways that you, you may have been blessed by someone else? So if, if you didn't hear that, trials at work and a, a believing sister just came alongside, put her arm around her and encouraged her and helped her and prayed for her. I want to I share one, and I'll give an opportunity for, for you to, uh, to share too. But for, for me personally, um, we've been here four years. And when we first came, um, it was from a, a ministry situation. It was just hard, challenging. Many of you know this. But... Um, being able to be here and just being able to be ministered to and not getting a lot of questions and inquiries and things like that and just allowing us as a family to be here and to be ministered to, um, like a ministry of presence. And I don't mean that in the sense of people were bringing us presence, T-S. I mean that in the sense of C-E, in the sense of people were just there for us, was just a real um, encouragement uh, to me and my family. So... Anyone else? Any any anything else? Yeah. So if, if you didn't hear that, the idea of younger women um, during COVID and a Bible study they were having, they had to stop that Bible study, but younger women coming alongside and um, being an encouragement and actually showing up there and properly spacing, but also but being there and sharing pictures and things like that. So others, Ozzy.
answer it with a theological answer that you just look at them and go, you are out old. So, and I just, I just, I just love the kids because, like I said, I learn from them every time. And they encourage me. If you didn't hear that, I'm going to summarize it. Ozzy's really blessed by the, the, the kids that we have here and the opportunities he has to teach downstairs. And he said down there, by the way, just so you know. But uh, um, Anyone else? Yeah, Ben. And I'm, I'm just summarizing things very quickly, but Ben, when, when Lisa was in the hospital and just people coming alongside, both presence, once again, that idea, but also financially being able to help. Um, anyone else? Just Carol. I know most of you were able to hear that because I was able to hear it here, but I'm just going to summarize it for my own sake and for Carol's too. In the midst of a lot of challenging the last couple of months, it's been really, really cool to quote her exactly, really, really cool to see how God has, has worked in a lot of different ways. So I want you to, I want you to think about 
that message of repentance and faith that we heard this morning. And what God has saved us from and what he has saved us to. And there is a very real sense of your relationship with God is a very personal thing. He has worked in your life personally to save you. But your salvation is not private. Do you know what I mean by that? In the sense of he's worked in you personally. And that's not something that where you go and you live on an island by yourself. Maybe not really, but that idea of you're not on your own. You've been saved by God into, the, uh, into a new life. From an old life into a new life. And into a family. Into the, into the church, the body of Christ. And we need to be helping one another and encouraging one another. So um, let me close this in prayer. Lord God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. I want to thank you for the reminders that we've had of um, what salvation is, what the gospel is, what true repentance is, what faith is, and how we need to prayerfully remember repentance and faith. And how we need to seek to help one another and encourage one another to grow in that. God, I pray that you would help us to be humble. That you would help us to be kind and compassionate. And that you would help us to to desire to grow into the image of Christ. You'd help us to be patient with one another. And in all of that, I pray that you would help us to to glorify you in all that we do and say. And God, we want to pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good night and be an encouragement to one another.